This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. These days, more and more sales leaders are leading salespeople who are remote, long distance. They're having to hold people accountable, build trust, and build relationships with people that are not in their office. On this episode, I have a conversation with Kevin Eichelberry, the author of The Long Distance Leader, about what it takes to lead a long distance team. This is a robust conversation with tons of value, and whether you lead a remote team or you're part of a remote team, it's a conversation that you don't want to miss. Before we get started, though, I want you to go and pick up a copy of my brand new book, Objections. This book is taking the sales world by storm, and if you're frustrated with getting told no, this book will give you the frameworks that you need to confidently ask for what you want and get what you want. Objections, the ultimate guide to the art and science of getting past no, is available right now at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, or wherever books are sold across the globe. And now, here's my conversation with Kevin Eichelberry, the author of The Long Distance Leader. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. Welcome back to another episode of Sales Masters. Today, I've got one of the great leadership experts in the world, Kevin Eikenberry. Uh, Inc., I think, called you the, one of the top 100 uh, leadership gurus in the world, so that's a pretty, uh, pretty big uh, uh, accolade there. Uh, Kevin has written a brand new book called The Long Distance Leader, and I wanted to bring Kevin on today because when I'm out working with sales leaders in particular, this is a big issue that they're facing, especially millennial leaders who feel like being remote and leading people remotely is really easy. But when they run into some of the roadblocks and some of the issues of dealing with someone who is not there, not present, not someone they can get their hands on, that they run into some problems. And Kevin has tackled a, an issue that is growing in business today because so many people are remote. So we're going to spend some time today talking about what it's like to be a long-distance leader. How do you manage a team that is not connected with you in an office directly? And what are some of the strategies that you can use to build a high-performing team, no matter what discipline you work in, with a group of people who are remote? Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today on Sales Masters. Jeb, I'm glad to be with you. It's looking, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So before we get started, can you just give us a brief history of you, just a little bit of your bio so that people know who you are and, uh, and, and, and a little bit about your background? So uh, I started out in sales and in the agricultural world. I grew up on a farm and uh, so very quickly moved into training and development. And so I worked in a corporate very large corporate organization, Fortune 10 kind of company, uh, left there almost 25 years ago to start my company, uh, which has become uh, a group of folks spread out across the United States working with and helping leaders be more effective around the world. So in addition to the long distance leader, I recommend just checking out some of Kevin's other books. And the other thing that I would check out is some of his videos. Kevin makes some brilliant videos on leadership. So if you're looking for some additional resources that will make you a better leader, make sure you check out Kevin's work. Kevin, um, let's, let's stop for real, real quickly and just walk me through why you chose to wrote, write this book. What was, the, what was the, the trigger that said, I got to write a book about long distance leaders? 
Well, so we're in the business of helping leaders be more effective. And if we look at the world, here, here's what's happened, Jeb. You sort of hinted at it earlier. Uh, a lot of people have just been going along doing their business and suddenly they look around and none of their people are by them. They're not here at all or they're gone two days a week or they're working from home one day a week because they've got a sick child or whatever. And so basically we say if you've got one person that's remote, you've got a remote team. And so we just found that this is a trend that's everywhere. Everyone knows it, but we sort of arrived here. No one planned for it. No one thought about it. And here it is. And um, while leadership is leadership because people are people, while some of the principles are immutable and aren't going to change, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of things we've got to do differently if we want to be successful. You mentioned at the front end, people who think they've got it because, you know, it seems easy. Well, if no one's calling you and you're not talking to anybody yourself, it seems easy, but that isn't necessarily good or right or going to lead you to the right outcomes. So when, when I first started Sales Gravy 11 years ago, uh, for me to bring on people required me to reach out and find people in different parts of the country. You alluded to the fact that you have 14 people working for you across the United States. And today I've got a lot of people working for me in different places. I even have people in different countries who work with me. And all of it's long distance. Now I have an office where I have people who work in my office. It's a whole lot easier to manage that team. But I can tell you that in the process of building my team over the last 11 years, the biggest struggle that I've had is hiring people long distance. And the biggest failures that I've had is hiring people long distance. So I'm wondering if you can walk us through some of the challenges that you see leaders facing as, as they try to manage remote teams. Well, let's just start with that hiring piece because I think that's a huge opportunity. I think people are going to hire people remotely, but they don't think about doing the hiring any differently. And I think if you know that folks are going to work remotely, you've got to, you've got to have part of the interview be about that. Have they done that before? Are they comfortable with it? What do they like about it? What they don't like about it, et cetera. But I think you also want a lot. Don't just fly people in for your interviews, do your interviews the same way you're going to communicate later. So like you and I are doing right now, using our webcams and have multiple people on the team, both others who are remote as well as people who are in the office you like I have what we would call a hybrid team, some in, some out. We're going to make sure that people are interviewing uh, around that, that space so that we're making sure that they're comfortable, we're comfortable with them, and that sort of thing. So I think you want to take the remoteness of the work and of the expectations into account in the hiring process. I think that will, you'll find that'll help. What other challenges are leaders facing when it comes to, to leading a remote team? I would say there are a couple of big issues that people wonder a lot about. People wonder about, well, how do I build trust when people are remote? And so I think that's a challenge that people ought to think about how they're going to tackle because it's different when people are down the hall. You see them, there's the, there's the unplanned for and spontaneous conversation, right? There are challenges about how and when we're going to communicate too often when we are remote from folks and we pick up the phone to call them, for example, uh, the call becomes very transactional, especially with the boss, right? I work for you, Jeb, I'm calling in and I know that you're busy and I don't want to take a lot of your time. In fact, I might even say that to you. And so we transact the business, but we don't do anything that would naturally happen in the hallway or as you stopped into my office. And so we've got to help people get past the transactional nature, which leads to another challenge, which is about how do I build a relationship with someone when they're not nearby? Now, the audience here, many folks here recognize how to build an build a relationship with us with a client or with a prospect at a distance 
And it's the same, some of the same things you want to keep in mind, right? In terms of how we want to think about that. So those are three big challenge areas, I think, worth, worth pondering and thinking about. Because here's the thing, we have to be far more intentional when we're leading remotely than when people are down the hall. So in all three of those areas, and I, would, I could probably add challenges around expectations, which leaders in general aren't very good at, and they're even worse at remotely, about being clear about what the work is and how we're going to do it. So I think the big idea here is we've got to be far more, we've got to be aware of those challenges and then be intentional about how we're going to deal with them. Because as a leader, I can tell you, uh, if you just try to lead the way you've led before, it won't be successful. You have to be thinking all the time about how the folks out in the field are experiencing you and experiencing the rest of the team so that they can get, uh, so they can be most productive. I, I love what you said about being intentional because I think that is probably the lesson that I've learned most over the, over the, you know, the last few years in leading a remote team. Uh, it was, and, and I had a remote team when I worked in corporate America and it was a little bit easier then because of the resources that we had for, for leading, we could bring people in for meetings. But as a small business, I just don't have the capacity to fly people in every 10 minutes to have a meeting. So the being intentional piece, making decisions about what I'm going to do, setting up my week so that I have weekly one-on-one set up with my people, I think has done a huge favor for both them and for us in staying connected, just human to human. Now, one thing that you that you mentioned was in the hiring process, like using video, this type of a of a format for interviewing people. One one thing that we use in our practice is, for example, when we're coaching someone uh, remotely in, in a company who's hired us to coach them, is we'll we'll use FaceTime or Zoom or any of the major video providers, and we'll set up an iPad next to them while say they're making their prospecting calls and coach them from there. One of the yep. pieces of advice that I give the leaders who come through our coaching class, especially sales leaders, is use video for doing your one-to-ones with people who are remote because a lot of leaders don't do that. But what I've found is, is that there, is, there still seems to be resistance for using a video connection to have a conversation with someone remotely. I, it does go back to being intentional. And I'm wondering, I'm, this, is, this is kind of off our subject, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. And either am I, you know, am I missing something or is this something that leaders really need to start investing in is learning how to deal with people via video? Uh, we absolutely have to. And uh, I, I think it's critical because we all know how easy it is to get sideways in communication in email when we only have one, when all we have are the words, right? And so you, you know that that a phone is better than an email, but we know that video is better than either, though not quite as good as across the table, it's awfully close. And so we as leaders have got to get over ourselves to do it, number one. And if you've got team members who are reticent or reluctant, uh, I have had and have such folks, then I've just been encouraging and supportive and yet um, firm about that. I don't, there are some people on my team that automatically, if we're going to have a conversation, we will automatically be on webcam, whatever platform we might happen to be using. For others, they don't love it. And so I don't force it every time. However, this is a real important point. Don't just say, hey, we need to do video today and have that the day you need to give them tough feedback. So you don't want them to feel like, oh, video means bad news, right? So even for folks that don't love it, and I respect that a little bit, uh, I still, we still do video enough that they don't have, it doesn't have a, a negative connotation to it as, uh-oh, Kevin wants video today. This is going to be bad. 
So, I mean, I think that we can be a little bit um, aware of where people are with that. But I think often, here's the feedback I give people. Like, I'm, that's what you and I are doing right now. Now, I can choose to look at myself while I'm doing this. Or I can look at you and hardly see myself at all. And I think that's half of it. People are worried about how they look and just, just you know, I could do this. And then all I can see is you. Um, that's right. So, you know, I, I think that we, as a leader, you got to get over it. And if you, but with your team, I think you want to be aware and move people that you don't have to jump people say, starting tomorrow, every call, no, no phone calls, all video. I don't think that's necessary. But I do think the more we move in that direction, the better success we'll have. Very good. Now, you did this landmark study on remote leadership, and I'm interested in learning more about what you found uh, through the process of going through that survey. Well, we learned some stuff. It's, we talk about some of the things in the book. I think one of the big things we learned is this, that remote teams are pretty good size. Like over half of the folks in the survey had a, a team of 11 or more people, which you know, is getting to be pretty big anyway. And that's sort of the size you've got, sort of size I've got. But that surprised me personally a little bit. The other thing we found is that the single biggest worry that people have approaching over 50, close to 60% of people's biggest worry was, uh, can I, is it possible to be as successful as a leader and therefore as a team when people aren't all together? Like, is it even possible, right? We didn't have a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, I think this is, uh, that I absolutely can't handle this at all, but there's a lot of worry. And I think there's, I think justifiably, uh, I think all those things can be overcome to our point. Uh, but I think the other, the other thing that we heard was, well, I'm getting by, right? I'm making it work. Um, and I think what we're finding is that what people are doing is they're in water and they're paddling faster, right? And they're working really hard to keep up and they've got people around the world. And so they're dealing with the times and all that stuff. And they're not like a duck where the ducks paddling really fast, but everything above the water looks fine. No, they're getting a little bit harried. They're getting a little bit, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned that we're going to have some folks burn out. And of course that doesn't help them. doesn't help their teams either, of course. So I think people are, are trying to do it with brute force They've not figured out how to delegate, especially to the remote teams, how to manage what to delegate to the remote folks versus the people in the office to your, in your, as in your case. And so I think there's a lot that we can learn and get better at, but I think those are a few of the things that we learned. Pretty good sized teams, uh, worried if it's even possible to be as effective as they could be. And man, I'm, I'm getting by, but I'm working really, really hard and we're not sure that's sustainable. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that goes back to what you said about being intentional the, the, the leaders who are taking everything on because people are remote and either they feel uncomfortable about delegating or they feel like they can't trust people who they can't see. So, so they, 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 they pile on, pile on, pile on, pile on. And what I found is that when leaders create a system of leading people, and this goes back to intention, right? So there's a system, for example, and my specialty is in sales leadership. So when I'm working with sales leaders in particular, it's having a system that has a weekly one-to-one -one that is only so many minutes long, that is focused on keeping the finger on the pulse of the human being that they're working with, that gives them a clue. Do I need to spend some more time here? That helps them understand what they should be delegating, what they shouldn't be delegating, and how to manage people that they've delegated things to without becoming micromanagers that are checking every five minutes because they can't trust them. Shifting gears just, just a moment from the survey, um, what are some of your particular rules 
and and your model for remote leadership, what are some things that you say leaders need to be doing these things in order to be successful? And by the way, I, if I can stop for a second, and because I, I want to pull everybody back to something that you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Some teams, like your team is big, my team's big. We have large remote teams. But you said even people who have one person who is not working with them, they have a remote team. So these lessons apply to every single leader that has someone that is not physically next to them that they can put their hands on. Well, so think about it. Like if I've got one, then I have to figure out how I'm going to lead that person successfully. And that person is experiencing their work from a remote location. And, and in some ways with only one, it may be even harder because now I got this one outlier and I got five in the office with me. And we, you know, we had a birthday cake tomorrow. We're having a birthday cake tomorrow and you're out there and you're never going to have birthday cake. And, you know, who am I delegating to and who's getting a chance to be seen and who's not being like, you could argue it's almost in some ways, some parts of it are more challenging there. So I will give you a couple of things. You said a couple of systems or a couple of strategies. I'll give you a couple of things. Number one is when I'll go back to hiring for a second. When someone joins our team, uh, one of the expectations is within the first two to three weeks, depending on their role, within the first two to three weeks, they are going to have a 30-minute uh, call call or webcam with every other member of the team where no more than a 30-minute call scheduled and no more than 10 minutes of that can be about work. So in other words, there's an expectation that they're going to get to know each other uh, because it won't. if people are in the office, now we certainly all know people that work in an office that never get to know their coworkers, but it's a whole lot more likely to happen there than when some, some or all are remote. So I make it just flat out expectation and it's, and I manage it as closely as anything I do. Have you got those done? Who haven't you talked to yet? Et cetera, et cetera. I make it very clear. Everybody that's already here knows what the expectation is on the other side of that. And if they need to talk more about work, those will be other meetings, other conversations. I want them to spend that time to start to build relationships. So they have something there. Another thing that I would say is if you have, your team meetings using, uh, you know, WebEx, Zoom, doesn't pick whatever you're using, doesn't matter. That if you think about a regular meeting room, people will be coming into it three or four minutes before the meeting starts. And what are they doing? They're chatting. So what we do is make sure that the meeting room is open a two or two or three minutes, four minutes before, five minutes before people can get there, get their, you know, get their equipment working correctly and get the phone dialed in or whatever. But also what do they start to do? They start to chat. Now, I'm a big believer in starting meetings on time, but oftentimes when I arrive, I, will, I may let it go a minute or two after just if I feel like that's really what's happening. And because I, I want to get every chance I can to start to build those relationships and let it happen as naturally as it would otherwise happen. So th- there's a couple of very simple things that you can do. You already mentioned having scheduled, scheduled one-on-ones. That's certainly true. Whatever the right frequency is based on your folks and based on the, the work. But that's certainly true whether people are here or out. But especially when they're out, that needs to be especially clear. And listen, I've learned this too. If you are having a one-on-one with one of your folks who's not in the building, uh, you've got to be especially careful to be on time. Because if you're not, they start to wonder, well, I must not be important. And I'm not necessarily the first priority. Now, if everyone's in the office and they see that you've been running around or they know that you've been on the phone and you're three minutes late, they don't really, you shouldn't be late anyway, but they sort of see there's clues to say that's probably okay. But if you're out there waiting for the phone to ring and it doesn't ring, you start to wonder, right? Like what's going on behind the curtain and what's going on behind the stories we make up are never good. And so we got to be really careful 
to be on time and, and or be communicating 10 minutes out. Hey, I'm going to be a couple minutes late or whatever. So those are just some very simple things. There's obviously lots more we could talk about, but uh, what else, where else do you want to head? Well, I think that's really powerful what you said about, you know, about the being on time, because one of the things I noticed, especially with, with leaders who have one-to-one set up or meeting set up with people who are remotely is they find it a lot easier to cancel those meetings. Something's happening, something comes up and it feels like, Hey, I can just, I can just drop that meeting. And one thing you got to recognize is that, that, that the human mind abhors the unknown. And you said, you know, people start wondering about what's behind the curtain and what's happening. So there's this big gulf of trust that comes into remote leadership. You have to trust the person that's, that's working and you have, you know, naturally as a leader, you, you think, well, you know, that the, if, if I can't see them, maybe they're not doing their job. Um, so there's a natural suspicion there. And the people that can't see you, they wonder what's happening without them being there, what's going on. And so they're looking for clues. And by the way, they're watching what you do. You're always on stage, even remotely, to decide whether they can trust you as well. well so you're actually, let's, um, you may actually be on stage more. Uh, paradoxically when you're, when they can't see you, because now they're, they're, they're analyzing everything, even if it's only subconsciously uh, for, for a message or for a clue. Um, you're right. I'm sorry that I interrupted, but I think that was a really important thing. No, no, you're, you're right. So let's, let's talk about trust because trust is a big deal with remote leadership or, you know, either trusting them, them trusting you. What are some, what are some things you, I think you we talked about some things that leaders do to break trust. But what are some things that leaders can do to, to build trust um, with the people that are, re- that are working remotely? And I want, to, I want to add one little twist to this, Kevin. What are some things that leaders can do that help them trust the people that are working for them? Well, let's start right there. So if you look up the word trust in your dictionary, uh, it is both a noun, right? There is trust here. There's something that exists. And it's a verb, I trust you. And I start from the place of that the only way you build the noun is by doing the verb. So the more of the verb you do, the more of the noun you get. So if you want more trust with your team members, be more trusting, uh, provide more opportunities for them uh, to, to do things, give them more space, provide a safety net, but leave them alone um, kinds of things. So here's a very specific example. If you have been, if you have some expectations with someone about some work that you've delegated or that you're coaching them on, Part of the plan ought to include how frequently we're going to chat about how it's going. And if we've set that up on the front end, then it's expected. Or you can remind them that we said we were going to talk about this every three days or every six weeks or whatever it is. And if that's the case, then they're not wondering why you're checking up on them because it's scheduled and it's planned. And so not only have you talked about that on the front end, how I can help you be most successful uh, you've set that, you've come to some agreement about that timeline, and then you're holding up your end of the bargain, and it doesn't feel like check up. It feels like check in. It feels like make sure we're on track. It feels like how can I help? And so we have to have that mindset, number one. But secondly, we can do some things that sets us up to have trust build as we go. So, and I, I think some of the stuff we talked about, about relationship building is a part of this. The more that we know someone else, the more we have the opportunity to begin to trust them. You know, you meet someone in a dark alley, not so sure. Meet someone in a building, maybe uh, they're on your team, maybe a little bit more. Where are you going to set your thermostat about how much you're going to assume the trust to start with? And that's a, it's a huge thing. And again, it needs to be very intentional with our folks who are remote. So how, how important is it for the leader to 
hire the right person to work remotely. And I'll, I'll, we'll go back to what I said to you earlier, which is as is, is honest as I can possibly be. I failed miserably when I first started my company hiring remote people. And some of that failure was I hired people that just, they just couldn't function working out of their home office there. Uh, and, and like one of my people who was struggling with this even came clean to me and said, you know, I'm really struggling because, you know, my, my spouse calls and says, can you go pick up the kids? And I just go pick up the kids or I got this going on, this going on, this going on, this going on. And it's just, I just am not the right person to do this. Tell, talk to me about that. And what are some of, for, for instance, some of the clues that you might look for as a leader? One of the things you said is use this type of a format to interview people, but what are some of the clues that you need to look for as a leader that a person can function independent of being in an office where there, right. there's a lot of accountability? Well, I'm going to ask well, those kinds of questions in the interview process. Have you ever worked from home, if that's the situation that we're talking about here? And if you have, what's worked and what's not? What do you like about it? What do you don't like about it? Uh, along with all the stuff that you said, Jeb, there's this other issue of some people need a lot of social interaction and they may not be getting it at home. Right. So they're looking at for wherever they can get it. Uh, the, the other thing is you, you've got to decide what you're going to do culturally. Um, I come from the places I want the work to get done. Uh, and I don't at some level, depending on the nature of the work, I don't care if you go pick up your kids at school and bring them home. In fact, to, from our perspective, I think my team would say having that ability to, Hey, I, something came up and I need to go do that. Uh, and they know that they can do that and just letting everyone else know where they're at. Um, is actually a benefit to us, but that all depends on what your specific, you know, culture and the expectations of the nature. If that person has to be on the phone, then that's, and they can't do work at 10 o'clock at night, then that's a different issue, of course. But I think the other thing is you can help your, those folks set some clear boundaries at home. So have clear boundaries about what, what's expected for you and for the team and how their ability to be available, but then help them set those up for home. So if you've got someone that you think is the right fit and they've never worked from home, you're going to need to do more coaching and helping them get set up so that they know that, um, you know, when the doors close, the rest of the house knows that they're at work, just like they were literally at work because they are at work. And so, you know, I think that you can, we've done, we've written some stuff about how uh, it's not really in the book, but other places about set it, thinking about the routines that you want to set up. In fact, it's actually an extra bonus that comes with the book. If you download it uh, about how to set up your routines for every day so that you get into the flow of being at work, even though you don't have to go get in your car and commute. So I think that you want on the, from the hiring side, Jeb, you want to just really do your due diligence, but also ask them, and what do they look for at work? And what do they find enjoyable at work? And for the people who say, man, I just like to get to work and do my thing and not really be bothered a lot, then the chances are they're going to work better off, be better off at home. You know, certainly a, a highly extroverted person can be effective working from home, but they, they may, requ may require some more adjustments for them, right? It may, re may change how you interact with them as they're supervisor or leader. And so I think you just want to be, you want to be clear about what you're looking for so you can interview for those things. And then you've got to ask some questions around the specifics, the, the kinds of challenges that you talked about. Kevin, you, you talked about routine. So help, helping people set up a routine so that their workday feels like a regular workday in the office. But you also, I want to run back to something you said. We were talking about you're on stage, and you, you made the comment that you're even more on stage as a leader managing people remotely. And it sounds to me like one of the things that you're teaching in the book is that as a, as a leader of a remote team, 
your leadership acumen has to rise to a new level. You have to be more disciplined. You have to be more intentional. You have to be more focused. Uh, and, and you don't get some of the leeway that you get when a bunch of people can see you in the office with, with your remote team. Talk to us a little bit uh, about that level of discipline that's required. I would add one more to that list. We could probably add several, but the one I would add to that list is you've got to become more comfortable and, more, and have more skill at communicating using more different kinds of tools, right? Uh, you've got to be good at doing what we're doing right now. You've got to get better at, at using the phone, perhaps. You've got to not rely just on the email. When are, when am I going to use email? When are we going to use an instant messaging tool, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, back to your point more intentionality, more discipline. And I do believe that the skills required for us to lead remotely or to lead at a distance are require more of us to do it well. And so back to where you started, people who feel like, man, this is going to be easy are actually missing the boat twice because anyone who thinks leading is easy is already misinformed. And um, even though some people may make it look easy, it's not easy. So if you think it's going to be easy doing it at a distance, you're wrong twice. You're wrong because it's not easy to start with. and It's actually going to be harder doing it at a distance than it is when they're nearby. And if you're doing that, you're not doing any of the things you said, not being focused enough, disciplined enough, et cetera. And so that's worth thinking about and being aware of. Uh, let's, let's talk about the, the, the financial impact of remote leadership. So A, it can be positive financial impact for a company that doesn't have to provide office space that allows people to work where they are. Back in my days in corporate America, I moved seven times in seven years and each of those moves cost my company at least $50,000. Plus I moved out to the West Coast. They had to buy a house for me. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that went into that. So people who are working remotely, they don't have to move. They're more comfortable. Um, they get to, uh, like you said, have a, a lot more work-life balance with their family. Um, so there's a lot of positives on the financial side for having a remote team, but there's also negative sides for poor leadership when when you hand over a remote team to the leaders on your company. Talk to us a little bit about what your findings are on the cost to organizations when their leaders fail at managing their remote employees. Well, let's just start here, right? The number one, the number one voluntary reason that people leave a company is that they fire their boss, right? So, and then remote or not, right? So, if you if you've got poor front level leaders, then you're going to have higher turnover. And in the in a in a time as we're living today, in you know around the first of June of 2018, of full employment, then that's super challenging. Right. And the costs of that are astronomical. So I would say that the biggest cost here is that if you've got if you've got leaders who aren't doing it very well, it's much more likely people are going to leave because that's the number one reason they do leave. And the second thing is it's much easier to move when you work remotely. Think about all the barriers that don't go away. I have I need a different computer, different login. Like I you know, if, if I'm going to the office every day, I've got a whole set of routines about where I commute and when I drop off my kids and how I do this and how I do that. And if you want to hire me to work over here across town, I got to figure all that out again. If you want to hire me to work across town or across the country now, and I'm still going to work from home, that's an easy call. And if you've already got a boss who kind of isn't doing so well, it's an even easier call. So if you want to talk about big potential costs associated with uh, remote teams, I would say the retention issue or the turnover issue, whichever way you want to look at it, is is a, is a huge one potentially. And I think it screams to the needs for our leaders to be more effective 
And so if you're a leader listening or watching and you're saying, man, I've had some turnover, I think it's definitely time, uh, whether they're remote or not, for you to be looking in the mirror and say, what, am I, what do I need to do here? And don't just blame it on, well, they made a little more money to leave because it's not, for most people, isn't the number one reason they leave. Absolutely. Every study, all the data tells us over and over and over again that people leave their boss, not the company. So how is that tied to companies who go down the road of building remote teams and then and then reverse course? They, they it, For some reason or another, it doesn't work for them or they pull back and they take the team back inside. And I, I went through this at one point in my career where uh, I work for a big company, Fortune 200 company. We took the entire sales team. We all went to our home offices. It was the greatest time of my life. I sold more. I had more fun. I loved working in a remote office. It was it was just the ultimate thing for me personally because I I dig being remote. Um, but the company, after a 24 month experiment, pulled everybody back in, set us up in offices. We just did a complete. It was a complete reverse course, and and of course the the impact of the organization to the process was extremely expensive. And I, we lost a lot of people who said, well, I can't commute to the office every day. Why, why do companies do that? Why do they go on one side and then the pendulum swings all the way back? You know, I think that uh, here's, I'll say two things about that. I mean, I mean, uh, people have different reasons why I would say this, that that's happening less and less. Now there've been a couple of pub, well-publicized examples in the last few years, years, Yahoo uh, bringing people back in and IBM brought some people back in. I think there's a couple of issues. I think that, one of the reasons they do it is they don't have, they haven't expected of or developed their leaders to do the stuff we're talking about today. So it's not working. So if it's not working, we go do something else. So rather than just saying, let's not work and let's figure out what we could do to make it, make it work. In other words, there's nothing that says we can't be successful at having remote teams. There's a bunch of advantages, some of which we've talked about, some of which we haven't, but when people are bringing them back, it's typically because there've been other failures and that the remoteness is only a symptom, right? And so I think there'll be less of that in the future, not necessarily because the leaders are getting better, but just because I think the, the cat is out of the bag, the genie's out of the bottle. And I don't think that, I mean, there will be some well-publicized examples, of course. I don't think it'll happen all that often. But I think the reason it happens is people feel like they don't have control. They don't feel like they're getting the results. And and it's often, I would be looking not at the remote workers as much as I'd be looking at the remote leaders. I, I totally buy that. I think we, we, we come back to this over and over and over again, whether we're in an office or whether we're working remotely, that it comes down to the leader. The leader is the pivot point on which everything else rests. And when you have great leaders, no matter what the, what the management paradigm is, it tends to work. And when you have poor leadership, it tends to not work. And in the things that we've learned, the reason we have a, a remote team of my own company, and I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm happy to admit this, is that when we first started off as a small business person, I was trying to run everything all at the same time, sweep the floors, do everything. And I was, I was a really poor leader with my remote team. And, and as we've gotten more intentional about it, we're, we've been able to build a blended team so that I've got people who are remote, people in the office, but even my yeah. people in the office yeah. have the ability to work remotely whenever they need to without asking. They, if, they, if something changes in their life, they just go work from home and everybody's set up that way. But we also have technology that runs everything for us. Right. Um, so, but, so I've got a couple of more questions for you. And sure. th- but my first question is, talk to us a little bit about technology choices. Now, in a really big company, if you're a leader, you don't get to make a lot of these choices. 
but, but if you're working a small to mid-sized company, a lot of these choices your company hasn't made and you may need to make as well. How do you go about finding the right technology stack for managing and leading a team that is remote? Here's the first thing I would say. Um, start with what you've already got. So if you're in the big company, you've got a bunch of stuff perhaps. But even, in, even if you're in a smaller organization, you've got some tools. And so here's one. It's called a phone. Don't forget that this is a real communication tool we ought to be using. Um, we've already got email, which is one we are probably misusing, overusing, and using for the wrong things. We've got some things. you probably got some kind of instant messaging tool, and that's great and has its place just like every other tool. I'll come back to that in a second. You've probably got some sort of file sharing tool, right? And you probably already have some kind of web conference, we'll call it web meeting, web conferencing type of tool. So if you've already got stuff, your challenge is number one, know how to use it well. 80% of people use 20% of the tool. Uh, So learn how to use it better or well and used well you'll be better off that's first thing second thing is figure out as a leader and as a team which tool we're going to use at which time so jeb i grew up on a farm and uh, at my farm i was there this past weekend i don't know i probably got 20 different kinds of hammers right and just because I've got 20 hammers doesn't mean I just pick up the nearest hammer to do the next hammer job. I need a sledgehammer has a task, right? A, a framing hammer has a task. A rubber mallet has a task and using one, the wrong one for the wrong thing is a problem. And so let's just take email. It's a tool. It's a great tool used correctly. It's misused over and over every day. It is not a good tool for a conversation. After the third email, someone needs to pick up the phone. The phone. We need to get off of email. We need to solve the problem, have the conversation. So my point is this, whatever technologies you have, learn to use them well and talk about how we're going to use which ones when. And chances are you don't have too many gaps. If you do have gaps, the the world is full of good options, right? And uh, so we're sort of uh, agnostic. We have tools that we use in our organization, but we help organizations every day using WebEx and go to meeting and go to webinar and Skype for business and zoom and Adobe connect and on and on and on. There are hundreds of them. Um, and most of them will work. It's about using what you've got and using it well. So I would start with all that first. Cause even if you're in a smaller company, you don't maybe have the quite the perfect stack yet. A lot of people are going out trying to find another tool rather than learning to use the ones they've got, which might already solve their problems. Yes. Let me echo what you just said. Pick up the damn phone. I almost pick up said, the phone. I left that part for you. Yeah, there yeah. Goes, pick up the you. damn phone. I, <laughs> I, know. I, I know. It's actually, so easy. I've actually typed that in an email. Yeah, pick up the phone. We 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 have all these different ways of communicating, and I love what you said. If you get to three copies, pick up the phone. It'll solve the problem instantly. Okay, we're, our time is almost up with you. I hate this because I could talk to you all day long about this. What I'd like for you to do is just leave us with uh, three good tips or pieces of advice that um, that remote leaders, and really, I'm, I'm sure this probably works for any leader, but in remote leaders in particular can, can deploy right now that will help them build a better team. Number one, pick up the phone and call somebody today and talk about more than just the work. <laughs> Number two, since we just were there. Number two is get clearer about what you expect of people not just what 
needs to be done or what the quality level is or the quantity is, but how we're going to do it. Get much clearer with people about, about how the work needs to be done and how we're going to communicate. So those are, there's two. And the third one I would say is think about what you can do today to build trust with one or more of your team members. If you do those three things, um, you'll be heading in the right direction. And oh, number four, learn how to use your, your web tools better. Like figure out how to use your, your technology so you can have a better meeting the next time you're on a remote meeting. Those four things for you. And there's a whole lot more in the, in the book, The Long Distance Leader. It's all sitting right there. People can go to longdistanceleaderbook.com to learn more, get special bonuses when they buy copies of the book, et cetera, et cetera. Excellent. Well, tell us how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, so you can always reach out to us. You can find my blog, the videos you mentioned earlier at kevineikenberry.com, K-E-V-I-N-E-I-K-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y.com. And, and my email is simply kevin at kevineikenberry.com. Twitter, all that stuff, you can find me in all those places. But again, the book, longdistanceleaderbook.com. There's uh, some free downloads, a sample chapter there, ways to get extra bonuses when you buy the book, and a whole lot more. Excellent. This is the book right here, Long Distance Leader. It's also behind me. Uh, Long it's Distance right Leader. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the book's everywhere. I, I want to, before we leave, uh, I echo something you just said. And this, there was a Harvard uh, re, study on trust, and one of the the key things that came out of that study was was clarity. So, so communication clarity. You said be clear with your work rules. Ambiguity is the mother of mediocrity. And your job as a leader is to eliminate mediocrity wherever you find it. And when you think about the failures that you have as a leader, in a lot of cases, it's just because you're not being clear and you're not being consistent in your message. And that becomes more acute with people who can't see you and are looking for reasons to trust you. And this is one of the reasons why you need to go get this book. It is fantastic. Uh, you can just tell in this conversation just how robust the information is. And there's not a leader in America or the world that is not going to be impacted by managing someone remotely over the next 10 to 15 years. Because as you said, the, the, the horse will use a farm term. The horse is out of the barn. It is rolling barn. along. That's right. And, uh, and, and this is going to impact you. So go get this book. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. You are fantastic. And I hope we can do this again. Jeb, it was a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Thanks so much.